Welcome everyone to Forgotten Feminists. This week, our guest is Alnaz. Alnaz, you might know her from her prominent um, news and different videos that she's been posting. She's been on quite a few different news shows and media talking about the woman life freedom movement. Um, and so Alnaz is here today to talk to us about growing up in Iran, her experience being involved in this women-led revolution, and to share with us some of her personal experiences as well. Alnaz, thank you so much for coming. Welcome. Hi, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here, Yasmin. Truly is. Thank you. Thank you, thank you so much. I, it's my honor. Um, before we start, I actually want to ask you about your necklace. Is that is that an Iranian, uh, is it... Is it a cultural, does it, is there a meaning behind it? Um, this is actually a gift and it's from Turkey. As far as I know, it's made by a Turkish woman. So I guess it's close and maybe that's why I like it so much. It's but beautiful. it reminds me of the nomads that I that live in Iran. Yeah, yeah. It's gorgeous. I love to see that kind of thing. That's Those are the kinds of things that women lost. You know, we had a lot of colorful clothing. I remember when the Afghan women, when the Taliban made them wear the burqas again, they started posting their actual cultural clothing and how colorful and beautiful it was that made my heart soar. I love that because the way that, you know, the way that we're just buried under cloth for this religion, it really just takes away the joy and the beauty of, of, life and of being of womanhood yeah same thing in iran like you know as as after the 1979 revolution they they forced the hijab the islamic republic forced the hijab and they took away the colors like you had to wear mostly black and dark blue and i you know and my rebellion was just starting to have white colors like i would have a pink screaming backpack even though i didn't like pink because i did not like my womanhood in a sense because of living in iran but i would like wear a bright green like overall a manteau part of my like um school uniform to just uh, a university where i could that was like oh i i don't uh, um appreciate this and i miss all the colors and that stayed up with me if you look at my pictures throughout i wear yellows and bright greens and oranges and red just because of that because as you said it's you know part of, it's been part of our life and taking that away and just like labeling it as culture has been the worst thing mm -hmm. that's one of the ways we fought against it yeah that's beautiful i love that that's i i love to hear that you had that little silent rebellion you had that little fighting spirit from the beginning um i don't know if you've noticed that my cover photo for everything whether it's twitter or facebook or whatever it's always the same cover photo and it's of this woman a syrian woman who is being freed from isis territory and she's mm -hmm. taking off the black abaya and underneath she has a very colorful dress on and i just that's the juxtaposition that's that's what it is right there you know like you're you're in your individuality your your passion, yeah. your beauty, your colors, your everything just gets muted. And then yeah. when you remove that, you can, it's almost like freeing, freeing a butterfly, you mm -hmm. know, from the chrysalis. So it's, it's really beautiful. I'm glad to hear that, um, 
that you always had that spirit in you. Of course, I know you did, and we're going to talk more about that in a minute. Um, actually, let's talk about you growing up in Iran as a little girl. So you were, how, when did you start to realize that you were under an Islamic regime or that you were different from the boys around you or that there was something that that your country was different from the rest of well not the world but mm -hmm. <laughs> the free world <laughs> yeah from the free world yeah there's such a difference very very early on I have a brother that's only one year younger than I am and um I brought a picture let me see if I can show it. This is a oh, passport picture of us. I think I'm like five and he's four or I'm at most six. And they had to cover my hair for the passport picture. I was not allowed and to, to show my hair. And there is there is nothing there. I'm just a little girl. And it starts from there. And, you know, um, uh, we grew up together, me and my brother. One year is, I think it's 14 months difference, not much. So we do everything together, we play together. And eventually I start seeing these differences. And I, it, it actually starts with my family. I remember vividly, we are in the country, you're somewhere in the middle of nowhere, there's a pond and it has tadpoles. And it's me, my brother, and there's two uh, family friend children they're both male so just like four children three boys one girl we are in a pond and i'm excited about the tap pools and of course we are in an underwears playing with the water and my mom comes and she pulls me out of the pool and, and i'm like why i still want to play and she's like no you can't do this why not you're a girl and you can't be in the pool when you're in your underwears even though i'm six and i'm very little and there's you're nothing there and it it starts from there and I can see that, oh, we go to school, my uniform covers my whole body. So there's an overall um, kind of coat. It's buttoned in the front. It's usually up to your knees or below your knees. Um, and then as a student, you have to wear a scarf that is sewn underneath your chin so it doesn't come off. And that's the uniform for a schoolgirl. So you don't show hair, you don't show what kind of clothing you wear. And um, it's mostly like dark gray, black, dark blue. And I remember there was, um, there was, so, you know, I'm starting to know, I was like, oh, I have to cover my hair. And there is this one day um, that my mom sends me. So me and my brother, that was a time that we went to one school when the morning shift was girls, the afternoon shifts with boys and they switched. The schools are segregated, of course, in Iran. Um, and um, my brother was sick. So my mom sends me to school to go tell the headmaster, your brother's sick. She's not coming. OK, the school's not too far. I'm eight years old at that point. And I don't put the school uniform. I'm not officially going to school, but I know I have to cover my hair as a, as a kid. So um, it, I put on a coat. It's winter and I put the hoodie on. And I'm like, my hair is covered. I'm good. And I go to school. I find the headmaster. I tell him my brother's sick. And then he looks at me. She looks at me and she says, why aren't you at class? And I'm like, well, I'm I'm a girl. My, my class is in the afternoon. And she is upset, even though I'm covered my hair in my like own little logic that I've, I've done it. And she's like, no, you never come to school like this. You have to wear your uniform. And I guess it's you start to feel that this is this is also a tool for controlling. This is not, oh, I believe in this and I want to cover my hair. No, you have to adhere to something. You have to be uniform. 
And then, you know, this goes on. I've seen that kind of power plays later on in my life. I'm, you know, I've, in my 20s, I was a CEO of a company. I'm going to a government building to sign a contract. And there's an old man in front of like almost every government building, every school has some sort of officer that's in charge of checking women's clothing. And this guy looks at me and I have a scarf. I have, you know, I'm in the street. I'm not allowed to be unusual. He looks at me and it's like, you can't go in like this. I'm like, why not? You're not wearing the traditional map. And I had the one with the sewing thing. And I'm like, well, my hair is covered. And he does not let me go in, even though I'm there for, for business. And um, it's, you know, I came out of there crying. <laughs> I was like, yeah, you have worse. Some random guy is going to control your clothing when you're going in there for a business meeting. Like it's none of his business, what you're doing or what you're wearing or where you're going. Who are you? Why are you talking to me? Was he one of the religious police? Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, yeah, it's an official. I mean, well, so there are many, many organizations inside Iran that control what women wear. There's the morality police. Now we everybody knows because of the uh, Massa uprising, because of the woman life freedom uprising, because of how brutal it was. But there's at least 25 or six other organizations that have made their missions to make sure women are covered up. And so in my my university entrance, there was an entrance for women. You had to go somewhere. There was a woman sitting there and looking at you. Okay, yeah, your overall is long enough. Your short, your pants, your pants are not too tight. You know, you're not showing too much hair. You're not having too much makeup. Oh, you have um, uh, nail polish that's not okay so you know and you can miss a class you can miss an exam you, you know literally as a woman you can't get an education if you don't adhere to a hijab law you can't get a job you can't appear in public and there's many many other things that you experience in around like you can't sing and dance in public as a woman you can't uh, ride a bicycle um you can't become a judge um you can't be the president your testimony worth half a man's testimony. Like, you know, it's just crazy. Like if you're in a dispute with somebody else, if the guy's male, you're already lost by default um, because his say is goes, and and then you inherit half of your brother. You can't live the country without the permission of your husband. There's like so many little things that I learned as I grew up in the country, but um, hijab was the main one because it was a daily thing. Like you, Mm -hmm. you come, out of the house and you look at the mirror i'm like am i gonna get away with what i'm wearing today and somebody like me wanted to push those boundaries and it's hard because you don't know how many people are in that boat with you you know how yeah. many people think like you because if you speak it out loud you're gonna be in trouble so there is also a self-censoring inside iran because you don't know who's safe and my my mother always like oh you don't tell other people we had an evhs um player and I think you asked me, I'm kind of getting answer to that question. How did I learn about the outside world? And that's how I learned because the Islamic Republic controls the media very tightly and not only media, the music, <clears throat> the movies. So if there's a movie and there's a woman with like bare um, arms, they would zoom in so you don't see that. The sex scenes are deleted. And if somebody's drinking alcohol, no, it's like, um apple juice or it's orange juice depending on the color (laughs) of the drink so they really try to like blind you from what's happening the outside world but um i i guess i had like netflix on wheels in iran there was this 
guy who would come to our house every weekend or every other weekend. And he had this black Samsonite and inside was 30 VHS movies. And you could get to like rent the few for a week or however, for like a dollar at the time, it wasn't too expensive. And, um, you know, there was everything. There was MTV, it was like Hollywood movies, it was old Iranian movies when the Islamic Republic was not in power. So that was like, that was my window to the rest of the world. I was like, there is another reality. There's another world that exists and I could be part of that world. And it was such a strong feeling. It was like, the, the oppression was so much that I was like, I need to get out. That's why I learned English. And I was like, I don't even want to have a child here because this is so, so, so miserable. Now, I would assume that it would be dangerous for you to share any of those feelings or any of those frustrations. You have to be pretty careful who you talk to about that. You have to keep your friends, like you have to be very careful that your friends are people that you can trust. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I assume, too, that your parents wouldn't want you to be talking like that just because they'd be worried about you. They'd be concerned. You know, it could be dangerous for you if mm-hmm. if word gets out that you're unhappy living in, under the Islamic regime, you know. So it's it's all of this control that you're talking about. It's like physical control of your body and control of your education, control of your movement, control of your ability to sing and dance and ride a bike and all of this stuff. But there is a control of your mind as well. There's a control of your voice. Like you can't even, you know, I'd assume when you're sitting there watching these movies and feeling like, I want to live there. I want to go to that city. I want to walk in the streets. Like those women are walking in the streets with their freedom, you know, to do and be and wear whatever they want. Now, did you express those feelings with your friends and people around you? Were they feeling the same way? Were you allowed to talk about that together? I ask you this because when I was in Egypt under Hosni Mubarak, I remember my cousin saying something about the president and then getting nervous because he Mm -hmm. said it in front of one of our other cousins who was a police officer. And I was like, but he's your cousin. He's like, no, yeah. he's a police officer first. Yeah. Um, there was definitely some of that. I knew that in the school, I didn't dare say anything, even mm-hmm. though now I'm looking back and I was like, well, there were people who were in the same boat and it was hard to identify because of the atmosphere you're talking about. Um, and I think Iran became gradually less religion religious because of what the islamic republic did because of everything else they did um and but definitely my parents like don't talk about this i was just scottish to think about this um and you know there was other things it's like like they didn't teach us critical thinking on purpose of mm-hmm. course the way mm-hmm. and you know and not thinking is like to stop you people from expressing themselves because once you express yourself then you demand then you want something and they're like what is all happening in this country um so they instigated they instigated two things self-censorship by by creating that fear environment that even still now they could charge you with very vague charges like corruption on earth right so you don't believe in god because you're not adhering to this so you are corrupt and the punishment for that could be execution so they could put you in jail for a long time and they could 
kill you because you don't just believe. So I did not believe in Islam kind of early on. Like I know I, you know, my parents were not very religious. So I, you know, my grandmother, yes, she said pray it, but she also drank wine. And like my other grandmother, like had other things. So it's just like my parents, my dad never prayed. She's, he said, I hadn't said enough prayers in my youth that I've covered the rest of my life. Um, that's, you know, he jokes about it, but at the same time, it, he was out of it, even though he couldn't publicly say, I don't believe in this. And I've nobody dared to say, I don't believe because you could face a punishment, harsh punishment. So they instigated self-censorship in people. And they also instigated despair. I remember when I was growing up, all the, um, uh, children's programs that you were watched. There are a lot of stories was, oh, the so-and-so is looking for their mother and they're finding their mother, but she's dead. So, you know, there is, there was such a despair stories. Like there, I can name you many, many like um, different uh, TV series that we watched. And there was like the same story. Oh, the, the child is looking for their mother. The child is looking for their father. And they never, they never successful in getting that. Um, so I felt like that was like, because we know that and now I know that people have power if enough people say we don't want this eventually you'll be able to make some change and I think that was instigated in us not to think that we could succeed and we tried to try to find each other um mm -hmm. it is much easier now to to find people because now like with social media, I think more people had that opportunity that I had to look at the outside world and say, hey, there is a normal life and you actually can be religious and be happy and express yourself and sing and listen to music and wear colorful clothing. And not, none of these are in contrast if you want to be a religious person and if believe in that. But we are dealing with a very version. I feel like in the Islamic Republic, we're dealing with people that dream of bringing an Islamic caliphate. Like in case of ISIS, mm -hmm. we're dealing with the Sunni version of them. And in case of Islamic Republic, we have the Shiite version and they're like, have the same mm. dream. And that's why they are in class sometimes. But that's what they're trying to do. And my worst fear is like, they say, oh, we want to export our revolution to the rest of the world. It is not that, mm. oh, we have this little piece of land. This is when we live our religion peacefully and the rest of the world can do whatever they want. No, we care what's happened in the rest of the world. And, and then if they could expand to the rest of the world, they would. And that's a scary thought to me. Yeah, of course. A scary thought to all of us. This is why I've often said when when this whole revolution first started in Iran, the women life freedom, I was constantly saying, you know, these women and men out in the streets right now, risking their lives, losing their lives, they're not just fighting for their country. They're mm -hmm. fighting for all of us. We need to recognize how important it is to, to stand behind them because they're in the front lines but they're saving our lives. You know, this is this is a danger that we're we're all in. We just may not be obviously in as extreme danger as they are at the moment. But yeah. this is a, a clear and present danger for for all of us. There needs to be that pushback against the regime, you know, internationally. And I'm I'm happy to say that I have I saw this video um where there were these two women who weren't wearing hijab i'm sure you saw it and this 
piece of shit asshole man put yogurt he poured yogurt over their heads because he was angry at them because they weren't covering their hair like just a random guy standing in line in the store behind them like no none of his business you know mind your own business mind your own body mind your own hair nope he's concerned about these two women that he needs to control but what was really great about as soon as he dumped the yogurt on these women's head, like within a couple seconds, some other men came forward and they just like attacked him, pushing him out of the store. And I was like, yes, finally, <laughs> like beautiful. this is so beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Every other yeah. video I've seen before that it was women fighting. Yeah. Women supporting women, which of course we have to do and we're going to mm -hmm. continue to do. Yeah. But you know how the men are in these societies. They don't respect women. The mm -hmm. more the woman fights, the more they beat her, the more they spit on her, they, the more they pull at her hair and, and kick her and all of those things. But when a man stands up to them, suddenly they're different, right? They act completely different because now it's now it's a real physical danger because this is another man yeah. and he could really hurt you. Mm -hmm. So you need to stand down. So we, we needed men in this revolution for so long. Women have been doing this for so long on their own. I saw the men marching in the streets with them, which was great to see. We've often many women all across the rest of the Muslim majority world and the Arab world. We've commented that you would never see that. You would never see a Pakistani man standing behind the women. You would never see a, an Egyptian man or a Saudi Arabian man or, yeah. you know, like it's, it's, beautiful to see the Iranian men even when they were putting on hijabs yeah. and stuff like it's it's really it's really great to see them standing side by side with women so I, I, that's yeah. that's one positive thing that is a new that is a new thing and it's it's beautiful it's a new generation that I think is less brainwashed with the classic roles of what men and women have to do in the society and i think the younger generation is like we don't believe in that anymore and we don't believe that in that control that islamic republic put in in and I, but maybe another i don't know if, if people are convinced that the way to go beyond the islamic republic is free the woman um because by controlling women they're controlling half the society and then they're controlling the mothers who actually teaching their children. So it's it's a bad cycle. Like I've seen women imposing hijab on other women. I've seen women criticizing other women saying, oh, you are, yeah. you know, that classical accusations like you want to be naked. I was like, no, I just <laughs> want to wear what I want to wear. It's, it's not it's not that this it's, this is not a fight. And it's it's, it's like fear mongering that, oh, yeah. society is going to, you know, the, the structure of the family is going to break down. Or no, you know, watch other societies and it exists and it's it's natural and it's fine. But it's it's amazing that for the first time we see them in and I and I'm really hoping that this uprising is going to go beyond the borders of Iran. Like I look at it as Afghanistan and my heart goes for those women. Now they, yeah. they can't go, they can't get education beyond middle school. The girls can't. And then Taliban told some of the women that don't come to work, send your husband as if you can just transfer that knowledge mm -hmm. to somebody else and have them do it. It's impossible. So it's, it's, it's beyond, um, 
ridiculous what's happening there. And at the same time, I think Afghan women is one of the first who came to the street and to support Iranian women. And it feels like we understand our each other's pain really, really well because we have been through a similar things. And I'm hoping that this uprising, this revolution kind of, you know, goes to the rest of the Middle East and other men and women realize that we can have a better life together uh, without subjugating women. Um, yeah, absolutely. I already see evidence of that. And of course, um, I'm trying to remember. I think it was uh, your, your prince, uh, Pahlavi, Pahlavi. How do you mm-hmm. pronounce it? Reza Pahlavi, yeah. Reza Pahlavi. Pahlavi. He was saying that that's why it's so dangerous for the Islamic Republic, because they don't, or not just the Islamic Republic, all of the Muslim majority world, they don't want to see the women succeed because it's sending a message to other yeah. women all over the Muslim majority world. Like, oh, look, you can do this. You have more power than you think you have. They convinced you that you're small and that you're irrelevant and that you're half of a man and that you're less intelligent than a man and that you need a man to control you and da 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 da, da. But it's all lies. Look what happens when you stand up. And that's yeah. the secret. They don't want women to know that, right? Yeah. And it was hard. It you know, I can tell you it was so hard to 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 go beyond all the psychological effects of that having you uh, as a woman. Like I I I eventually was able to get out of Iran. I was 28 years old when I got out. And I as I lived in in a in a I live in the Calif- I live in California, so I lived in a healthy society. I had healthy relationships, and I saw how women are treated. And eventually, you understand what you have been through. That it might yeah. be hard to see otherwise. Kind of like growing in a cult. You don't know what you're missing until you are out of it. And it's it's so hard to to go beyond that barrier. Like I think I struggle to to prove myself forth to myself. You know, I have one of my colleagues sitting there here and we worked at Google together and she's like, you work at Google. How can you be not self-confidence? And I like, yeah, still, because that look upon you in the society that you you don't even worth enough to get to choose your clothing and then you don't have self opinion doesn't matter. It's just like adds up every day. That what you're talking about there is is so hard to explain that to people. Um, you know, it's been almost 20 years since I left Islam and I'm still struggling with things like that, you know, because you're just from your, from your childhood, from, from being a, like immediately you are lesser than you are inferior because you're a girl and you internalize those things Mm -hmm. because you're a child and you don't know any better like you said you had to come to california at 28 years old to be able to finally recognize all of the toxic messages that you'd been getting and that are in your mind and in your skin and in your blood and in your soul you know you You don't even know sometimes that those things are all there because it's like it's that brainwashing, that indoctrination that has been, you know, you have to clean it. You have to clean it out of your system. But first you have to recognize that it's even there before you can Mm -hmm. clean it out. I I remember uh, 2017. So that is I came to U.S. 2008. So that is nine years I've lived in the U.S. at that point. 
um, the Islamic Republic arrested an, a girl who was dancing in Iran. She didn't do anything other than dancing and putting the videos on Instagram. So there was no encouraging, there was no political talk, nothing but dancing. And they arrested her. And I remember my first thought was like, I want to record a video of myself dancing. I love dancing. So I want to dance and, you know, in California, and I'm going to put this video on social media to support her. And my second thought was like, oh, I, you know, I can't do this. I would be in trouble if I go back to Iran and I could be. And, and I realized at that point that nine years later, I'm still afraid of this government and I'm doing something legal in this country and, you know, putting in social media is fine, but I'm still afraid. And it, and I think at that moment I made a decision. I was like, I'm going to start being loud and talk about this as much as it could mean that I can't go back to Iran anymore. And I haven't been back since 2017. I, you know, I, my grandmother hasn't seen my um, daughter and mm. there's a chance that she wouldn't, but I'd rather be able to um, talk and not be afraid. Um, and I'm hoping that one day we, I can go back to Iran, maybe in her lifetime. Um, who knows how far, how fast this is gonna go. But going back to that there was a you know you need it's it's hard to discover those fears and then like i go back to iran so like i i went back to i have been back to iran a few times and it's after that many years that you come back and see oh there's violence in the society there's people are angry and and you know the looks and you understand all those much much better and and then you you just get to start to like now i need to fix all that it's going to take years of therapy and you right. know working and speaking out to get all over that yeah that was one of my questions here is I was going to talk about that feeling of being in California, being safe. You know, you could at that point, which a lot of people do, just mm -hmm. sort of forget your past and move forward, you know, like just. But it's almost, you know, some of us feel compelled to reach back and support those who are in the position that we were once in, because I'm sure when you you know, even before the woman life freedom um, revolution, you were already wanting to like post that picture dancing, you know what I mean, to support that woman that was arrested for no reason. You were already feeling compelled to support the women there that were suffering. Um, so I wanted to ask you about that. Like, what has that cost you personally? I know that speaking up is fulfilling personally, mm -hmm. but it, it comes with a high price. And one of those prices is, of course, as you mentioned, um, the fear of not being able to go back to Iran, of your fa other family members not being able to to meet your daughter. So it, it's a very high price to pay. And of course, now you've done podcasts, you've been on the news, you, you, you know, it, it's too, it's like, at this point, you can't go back to Iran until the, yeah. until the, the regime is, is uh, decimated. Yeah, that is true. And that is, that is a decision that I made knowingly because, you know, there, because I care about women who are left in Iran, you know, they're like my cousins, my, my sisters, my, you know, my aunts, um, and it matters to make a change. And I realized that if everybody is afraid, they have won, it's over. Mm -hmm. 
And there's a price to be paid to not be afraid. And, you know, there's also the other side of that. If enough people speak out loud, they're not going to be able to arrest everybody. So it's just a matter of being able to pass that threshold. And it takes a while, but into, and it takes brave people. And it's okay. I'm not brave. I, you know, I, yeah, I'm here. It's in California. I'm, you know, I'm publishing videos. Now I talk, I don't go back. The, the real bravery is what we saw in Iran. And, um, you know, I admire those people wholeheartedly. They're, they're heroes. But at the same time, we have to pay the price. There is, there's no other way. We are facing, in case of Islamic Republic, we are facing a very strong, group, they have the oil money, the rest of the world is recognizing them as a legitimate government, even though they don't work for the betterment of people of Iran. And, and, and that, that's, that's a two way thing, both the country I grew up and I care about that at the same time, there's all these people who are suffering daily. Um, women are suffering twice, but men also suffering. So there is part of me all wants to reach back and do that. And as you said, there is definitely um, a joy in, in, there's a liberation, there's healing in speaking mm-hmm. out because part of the justice is that um, you speak out and the rest of the community, rest of the society looks at you and says, yeah, I understand that you are right to be. There's, you know, and that's a very important part of healing. That's a very important part of having justice, even though I can't reach back. And, you know, there's a lot of people in Iran that lost loved ones and they might not be able to um, try or punish the perpetrators, but the social um, appreciation and understanding will help help them at least heal a little bit. So I think that's an important part of it. Um, speaking out is really important. I, you and I kind of talked about this. I kind of wanted to open up that issue that, um, for me, speaking out also meant other things. I was um, sexually harassed by my father. And what saved me was being able to speak out. Because once I was speak out, I was out of the darkness. And there was that. Because somebody, when somebody does that thing, they use your fear um to keep you silent and continue doing what they work and a speaking out was the only option i had at that point to stop him and it worked and it, i was 15 years old and i spoke out at a time um very um shortly in front of my parents and my mom was kind of a silent partner. She kind of denied everything, but it kind of stopped the progress of harassment that's happening. And it took me about 20 years to be able to uh, talk about it publicly. And I was eventually able to talk about it first with friends and family, and then then in like public videos. And, and eventually I was able to talk with my father's sister about that. And, um, there was always fear about that because you can speak out and you can be denied that, oh, you're what you you were imagining this never happened. You're lying, all that things. And I have faced some of those. Um, but at the same time, if you talk with the people and they are understand you, it's it's very, very healing. But it's, it's a two way two way sword in terms of uh, something like um, abuse. It could be a savior. And in terms of what's happening in Iran, it's 
it's the only way out. We have to, I mean, um, since 2017, I tried to work, I worked with Masih Alinejad just to echo the voice of Iranian women because they were there, they were screaming that, oh, what's happening inside Iran is terrible. But once we had the social media, once we were able to take a video of what's happening, then we were able to introduce a witness to, to the violence that was going on. And that was really helpful to be able to get approval the rest of the world and also um, find a way to stop them. Like the yogurt scene that you were just describing. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, mm -hmm. the rest of the Iranians can see that. And that's a source of encouragement for us to keep doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So with both your abuse from your father and abuse from the Islamic regime, it's exposing the violence, ex ex exposing the dirt, exposing the truth um, is very, very difficult, very, very scary. And like you said, you get told you're a liar. I got told I was a liar when I spoke about my abuse from the man that my mother married. And I get told I'm a liar all the time when I speak about the abuse that I endured as a Muslim woman. Like the, that's their, you know, that's going to be their near, knee jerk reaction. Right. And so yeah. to, to put yourself out there and say, I'm going to keep talking, I'm going to keep exposing this um, is unfathomably brave you know I didn't keep doing it with my abuser when I spoke to my mom and she like your mother was just denying everything even though I know that she knew and years later years later I um met, spoke to my sister mm -hmm. and she said that she didn't believe me Oh, um, but my sister was married to his son, so she had a, she was, um, it was in her best interest to not believe me, right? Because she has two yeah. daughters of her own now. So that's their grandfather that I was talking about. So she it was in her best interest to pretend that I was lying too. So when you get that kind of, uh, that kind of pain from the people in your family, you know, when you're talking about one of the worst experiences of your life, the worst experience of your life um, on multiple, like not just once. Um, and then to be told you're a liar, you know? So for the Iranian women now to be able to have their phones, I remember one of the campaigns that you did with Masi was my camera is my weapon because they could pick up their phones and they could record it and they could show the world, look at what they're doing. Mm -hmm. They they call us liars, but look, watch, you, do you deny your own eyes. You can see it happening, right? We saw the women in the streets when they were taking off their hijabs. We saw the IRGC shooting mm -hmm. them. So yeah. you can't, after that, pretend these are our allies and we're going to sit down and have, you know, diplomatic discussions with murderers mm -hmm. um, because they they had been exposed so yeah yeah that was that was a progress definitely in what's happening in Iran but it, I feel we still have a long way to go because we are facing a powerful regime and it's I 
I, I'm not convinced that the European countries are going to help much. Uh, but at least if they don't help the Islamic Republic, that's a big step for us. And the rest needs to come from inside Iran. And you know what is interesting, Yasmin, is like how this event has affected the diaspora. Like there's an, an official stat that about 8 million Iranian, Iranians are outside Iran. And many of us, as you said, we came out and I did the same thing. I was like, oh, here, okay, I can breathe and I have my new life. And, you know, I'm just going to do my career and have a healthy life. And I'm not going to think back about what happened because I can't do shit. And once this happened, they, the diaspora is like, oh, maybe we can do something. So the diaspora came alive and it was just like, you know, a, a depressed traumatized people coming to life and saying oh we can do this so now like i was in a conference uh, in stanford last uh, weekend some people coming together i was like okay we need to support that needs to happen in Roma. but we can support them we have a thinking power here we have a lot of iranians who are in like universities they're in acad academic and, and you know they're in business there's some financial power there's some thinking power like how this gonna go can we because in Iran, you can't even talk about this. Mm -hmm. There is no, um, there is a, there was this poll um, done about a few months ago about um, they, um, you know, what the Iranian people think. And the guy who did the poll was telling me the other day, once people reach out to the question that's a little bit sensitive, like how important is religion in your life? You know, they, they talk about like how important the family is, how important, you know, wealth is, other stuff. But once you get to that question that how important religion is in your life, people just go silent. Mm. I'm not going to answer this. I'm not going to be danger. So it's really, really hard to get an opinion. Um, but the poll they did showed about 20% of Iranian at this point only support the government and 80% want to reform. And about 67% said they are hopeful that this protests are going to go get somewhere. So there's hope there's, um, you know, that, that kind of like brought to life the sleeping diaspora and something might happen here, which is beautiful. And, uh, um, you know, I think each of us have to do a little thing. That's that's the power of people, right? You you do a little thing and you work together. Something the Iranians didn't learn in Iran because they didn't want that happen to. But yeah, divide and conquer. <laughs> yeah, mm -hmm. um, yeah. You've you you've you've come together now. Like all those little groups that they like to pit against each other have now all come together against a common enemy. So. Yeah. That, that common enemy I'm sure is it knows that they're in trouble now um how how is your sense of hope at this point are you feeling like your daughter could maybe one day go visit her homeland oh, yeah. definitely like Iran definitely. yeah so it's interesting like I don't know how much people have seen this now you look at in Iran, there's more people without scarves, there's more women. Yeah. And I think that is something you can't take back from Iranian people. Like they, 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 you know, they push that move forward. And it's like, you know, we, we, we got this, we, we're not going to move back from this. And that's going to be the hardest thing the Islamic Republic is facing. When I came outside Iran, I, I knew it was going to change. Uh, you know, I was like, oh, in 50 years, it's going to be wow. something I want to live there. And now it's been 15 years, I think maybe because of social media and like how fast it is going. So there is, I'm definitely hopeful that Roshan 
her name is Roshan, could someday go back and 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 visit Iran. And you know, honestly, I, my whole my own dream is like um, I want when all of this gone, I really like to write educational books for, you know, for schools that that has been my dreams. I always when I was growing up, I was like, when I was growing up, I felt like they're teaching us shit. And I was like, No, you, you can make history so exciting, you know, yeah. like, biology is amazing. And chemistry is so cool. But, you know, it's, yeah, but I, you know, I have a dream to go back. And then um, right now, um, me and a, a group of, at, at this point, Iranian women, but we are open to having men. We started to writing our own personal stories of living in, inside Iran because we think that's a powerful tool. So um, it we, is a powerful tool. That's yeah. wonderful. I can't wait to read those. Those are, that's yeah. what those human stories connecting us on a human level, because people can't relate. They'll never be able to, even I can't understand what it's like to live under the Islamic regime, but I can understand what it's like to be a woman being controlled, you know? So that's, I'm so glad that you're doing that. Sorry to interrupt, but that got me really excited. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. It's it's called the Moonlight Project. And I was busy this week just to like set something up. It's like the moon, uh, the moonlightproject.org is the this, is this site. And we're going to keep adding stories there. Um, right now it's Iranian people, but I, I'm, you know, I think what's happening in Syria, in Iraq, in Turkey, in Afghanistan is so mm -hmm. close. And I love to like talk with those people and oh. share our stories because I think it's, it's, it could help. <laughs> At yeah, least, absolutely. You know, I can't, I can't still get over that how western feminists can be okay with her job and i it's yeah. it breaks my heart and i'm hoping some i can conquer that that's one of the things i love to do is like do you understand us in this and i hope that could help that as well yeah i really hope so too it, it doesn't it feels like it's not complicated it's not difficult should be pretty clear <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you're a feminist this doesn't need to be a long conversation you know so yeah. it is very frustrating how they they can get it so wrong and it's not just that they're staying silent on hijab it's that they're actually endorsing it and supporting yeah. it um so yeah extremely frustrating but the moonlightproject.org i will definitely link to that in the description and I will be sharing those stories on all of my social media accounts as well, because you're absolutely correct. I know feminists all over the Muslim majority world, and they all, we all have similar stories. That's part of the reason why I started this podcast, Forgotten Feminists, was because I couldn't get over how many women I'm speaking to. Because you know how they love to say, it's culture, it's not religion, it's your culture. Which culture? Which culture are you talking about? Are you talking about Iranian culture, Egyptian culture, Somali culture, Turkish culture? Have I frozen? Oh, no. Will we be back soon? Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> Thank goodness. It's <laughs> like, am I talking to myself? All of a sudden, I realized I think I'm frozen. Um, anyway, I was just, I'm just getting really excited about the Moonlight Project. So I can't wait to share that. And I know so many women who'd be willing to share their stories there as well. Um, Sahara is one person, she just popped up. Yeah, I'm back. Sorry, I froze there for a minute. 
Um, Sahara is somebody who grew like she's her family is from Somalia, but she grew up in Kenya in a in a um, in a refugee camp. Her you wouldn't think somebody who grew up in a refugee camp in Kenya and I grew up in Canada from a family from, you know, Egyptian and Palestinian, what are we, what would we have in common, you know, but she is my soul sister. We have so many things in common. And one of them being just what you were talking about before. And I think this is something we will all share, which is just overcoming those mind prisons that they that they blocked us to make us feel small um you know i liken it to like a a plant if you grow a plant in a small pot it'll never grow any bigger than the pot that it's put in right the roots will never expand that's what they did to us with the hijab and everything they're binding us to keep us small always and so now when we're able to finally break free and start growing you know, it's unfortunate that for a lot of us, we were in our 20s. And so it's like our growth was stunted in a lot of ways. Um, but I'm very excited about reading those stories and sharing those stories. So thank you so much for sharing that with us, Elnaz. Okay. Um, I've opened it up to, am I pronouncing your name properly before we continue? Elnaz? Uh, I'm used to it at this point. <laughs> I'm saying it wrong. Oh, you're fine. Tell me how to say it. El Nas. I mean, it's just about the emphasis is so different in Persian than in English. So, you know, you are doing the best possible in English language. (laughs) Okay. El Nas. I can do better. Um, So, El Nas, I've opened it up to everybody who's here uh, who might want to have questions or comments to share with you. Thank you all for joining. It's nice to see all your beautiful faces. Um, if you have something that you want to ask or to share with Alnaz, then please go ahead and unmute yourself. Hello. Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Hi. Good to see you, Arkan. Thank you. It's been a while, right? Yeah. I was late. I was late last time as well. I'm sorry. Yeah, um, okay, sorry. Thanks, Elnaz, thanks very much for your discussion. And I was I was thinking, you know, as you and Yaz were talking about, um, the so, like the sociology of morality, basically, and about, you were talking about the prison, right? And to me, it's, it's interesting how morality gets reinforced by others around you, and so that you, you feel that when you speak out against some form of injustice or something that's done against you, but you're in this kind of, you know, prison of morality that you feel as if you're wrong, even when you know that others are doing you wrong, you know, but there's that pressure to conform. And yeah, so I just think, I think that's one of the things that kind of keeps people kind of, locked up in that in that kind of psychological state right you know the, the pressure from the soci the sociological pressures of something like a concept like morality which gets reinforced by authorities and so on and people around you you know um yeah i i think well it is their version of morality 
in at least in the Islamic Republic. And what I can say is it's to some extent, some extent it's inhuman um, dragging a girl for not covering the hair on the ground and then hitting her. It's where's the morale in that? And you know, we we talk about freedom of religion, especially in the U.S., but I feel there there's a limit to that. Like, um, like one version of it is like you stop where you harming others. For me, it's defined by the human rights. That if you are adhering to human rights, you're fine because there's some sort of um, collection of oh this is as a human race, we believe this is the rights of another human being, and we have to respect that. And I think when you cross those boundaries, for me, it's that when you cross that boundary, boundary, you have crossed um, the morality, even if you think you're doing the things there. Mm -hmm. During um, this protest, there was a one song that became very popular by Sherin Hajipur. It was called for and it was explaining all the reasons why Iranians did this, like for our sisters, for the trees, for the environments, for the kids that in poverty. And one of the things that is in there is like for taking you to heaven by force. I don't want to go to heaven. Maybe like, first of all, maybe I don't believe in that. But then you want to take me to to your your own version of heaven by telling me I have to cover my hair and I can't eat pork, which I'm so against that. But you know, and all that little things that maybe you think they're right, but you can't force another human being. And I think that's where it gets complicated, and that's where we have to draw the line. Yeah, but there are echoes like it's it's not just in Islam. There are echoes in mm -hmm. other areas like political systems and other religions as well, right? Where I think Sam Harris has a line in, in, in the end of faith, something like, you know, people can think they're being like um, enlightened when they're being ridiculous and they can, and they can think they are being moral when they're yeah. being completely immoral, you know, like by trying to reinforce those, that moral system, yeah. the moral system itself kind of becomes the source of injustice, the the immorality, if you like. That's yeah, and it and it can be it, it can it can take many manifestations. It's not just yeah, Islam, but this is just one particular kind of oh, definitely. I mean, one ironic thing that came out of this revolution was like um, there was there was a extensive reports by CNN and another Iranian. Um, reporting agency iranwire.com that they used um rape as a torture device in the prison of islamic republic after they arrested the protests and these protests are against hijab and the is the is islamic republic claims that hijab is to protect women so they're so you know exactly what you're saying it's just they kind of like all that little and in a circle that you are not immoral any you're not moral anymore even by your own standards i feel but that that i mean that is a terrible thing that they don't see those people as human beings anymore i think that's what justifies the violence we see with them oh you don't believe anymore so 
I can spill your blood and that's okay. And I'm actually going to go to heaven for it. So that is dangerous. That is very dangerous. I think we, we saw maybe some of that in Christianity in dark ages, you know, there's Spanish inquisition, there's witch hunting, but we were able to go beyond that. And I think the danger that Jasmine Jasmine is talking about, about not being able to criticize Islam is how are you going to bring that reform if you can't criticize Islam? And if other Muslims do not accept that there is an issue and it's fine, you know, it's reformable. It's every other religion and most other religions have done it already. It's just Islam is too young. (laughs) Yeah, I agree completely. I agree completely about Islam, but I'm just, I'm thinking that any moral community community can double down on dissenters, right? Uh, we see it now in, in with like wokeism and things like that, right? It's a moral community that doubles down on people who speak out or whatever, people who mock the the ideas and so on and so forth, or even hold a mirror up to it and say, "Look at how ridiculous you're being," you know. But these people, so what they do is they cancel you, or they, yeah. you know, or they they ostracize you, or they do something else, right? I mean, it's yeah, that's kind of what I'm saying, really. I understand totally that we, instead of being able to have a conversation, like I see you and I don't agree with something and we can have a, you know, deep discussion about it. And then later we can sit at the same table and have lunch together. And that's something I feel like I miss that we disagree. And it's important to be able to talk disagreement. That's how we evolve. That's how we make inventions. That's how we, you know, go further, how we introduce ourselves to new views. And I, you're right, but the woke coming that we have that kind of in a bigger scale maybe not limited to islam anymore as you say and that's yeah i i wish personally i wish we didn't didn't go that way i wanted to add too that if you remember el naz was talking about how we were never raised to think critically like thinking critically was actually discouraged if not punished and that didn't happen in the west at least you know up until recently <laughs> critical thinking was encouraged and so there are a lot of critical thinkers here people are you know quite often afraid to speak up the fear is very different though like you said you're going to be ostracized you're going to be canceled it's different than you're going to be shot in the head or you're going to be hanging headless off from a crane you know so it's a it's a different level of fear of course but there's still a fear people fear losing their jobs things like that um but we're still in a position to fight in this country. Like we, we still have our critical thinking ability. We still have our voices. We still, I mean, I say this when I was shocked and I still can't believe that there was a woman in France who was being arrested for insulting the president on Twitter or something or on Facebook. It feels like this is not real life. Like this can't be happening right now. This is, this isn't real. It's not France, a two France, you know, like this is, it's just too much. So the world is um, losing it in a lot of ways. We are going in a, in a very dark place, but you know, I guess what I'm trying to say is if in a country like Iran, where people have been controlled since birth, their bodies, their thoughts, their movement, everything. If even they 
can push back against this controlling regime that is literally murdering them and their families. You know, when they're angry at somebody, they don't just murder them or imprison them. It's their whole family is in danger. And they're still able to push back and reclaim their country. It makes our job over in the West look easy in comparison, you know. But we just, the difference is the Iranian people are have a bravery that is not common on this planet, <laughs> you know. I was I only know. saying that to you, I was only saying that same, that very same point to a couple of colleagues yeah. of mine just last night, that there is a different level. There's no question about that. I, don't get me wrong, I'm not making, you know, some kind of false equivalent, uh, you know, equivalent. No, yeah, that. no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, what you're They're saying incredibly- is absolutely true. I, I, I completely agree with everything you're saying. And, and that whole morality thing you were talking about, too, it's on, on a personal level, it confuses you because you don't know what's moral anymore because you've been raised to just listen and do what you're told versus to think. Exactly. And so you but don't even trust your own yeah, gut. And it's, re- yeah, it's reinforced by sort of authority figures, social structures, parents, teachers, and so on and so forth. Yeah. And so... Yeah, it's really confusing because you know in your heart that it's wrong what's happening to you, but you're being told it's actually, it's correct. That you're the wrong one for thinking that it's wrong. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yep. It's crazy making. Yeah. All right. Um, Anyone else have something that they want to share or ask? Alnas, you've got some notes here in the messages. Nazreen, I'm sorry, I can't read what you've, well, you haven't shared with everybody, it's just with me. (laughs) Some things are coming up in the chat here. Um, I'm trying to see if there's any questions, but most of them are just congratulating you and thanking you, Alnas, for sharing your story. Um, I did read one of the messages to talk about the wrong thing, and then I want to I want to share a little story, maybe of happy yes, ending. Please. <laughs> so I, you know, as as kind of a feminist person, I don't call myself that, but like you know, I I've been married before, but I never changed my last name. It's it you know it, I kept my my own first name and last name, and then um, the husband I'm married to. He is um, for Polish descendant, and his last name is Bocek, which in Polish means bacon. And I could not resist <laughs> to add his last name to mine. And I'm uh, I was like, I, I have to have this. This is not, this is justice. <laughs> so I'm Elna Sarbar Bocek now with, with bacon in my last name as an ex-Muslim. And yeah, I'm gonna leave you with that. That's the best. I love that. How can you resist, right? That's perfect. That's like poetic justice from the universe. (laughs) I love that. Cooking everything I can with pork. Yes. Beautiful. Uh, Can I ask just one question um, before we leave? Uh, One of the sort of sectors of contention and and um, attempts to change things is in the area of sports. And um, 
you know, Iranian women were prohibited from going into soccer stadiums and cheering for their national team and so on and so forth. Um, Iranian women want to participate in sports. Some of them go overseas and wear hijab while they're playing squash or whatever. But, um, you know, looking at women in other societies, there's a huge reservoir of, of um, aspiration and energy among Iranian women who would love to participate in sports just the way their brothers do. And has there been, is that, you know, an area of contention where you see any progress at all? Or is, you know, is it still as repressive as it used to be? It, it is very repressive because that's the image of Islamic Republic in the outside world. So anybody in the team and the national teams, if you dare to participate without hijab, you're going to be kicked out. We saw, I think there was um, Elnaz Rekabi, my namesake, um, who took out her scarf on a rock climbing competition. She is my hero. Just doing that simple thing, they confiscated her passport. They brought her back to Iran, so they didn't let her escape. She had a brother in Iran that was already probably arrested by the time she came, climbed down. And um, they made her at the airport, you know, the airplane lands, and she has an interview saying, I made a mistake, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. And so it's because it's the image of, you know, this is how you know you are an Islamic country. You go in the city and the women are all covered. This is their... Um, icon. This is a symbol. So for them, it's very, very important. It's a propaganda tool to say, hey, look, uh, our women want to wear hijab. We are not enforcing them. So that's why they clamped down on that. I know there have been a lot of reports by the Iranian uh, athletes to the national bodies to try to convince them to ban Iran from the games. And it's not very successful. Like about the stadiums, the FIFA kind of threatened Iran and Iran said, oh, I'm going to open it. So they, I think, um, gave away a limited number of tickets to selected people to go to one game. And then the rest of the rest of the people, it's the same scenario. You can't go in. Um, so it is important for them. So in, in, with regards to keeping the face, there is something else I want to share. Islamic Republic is more okay with transgender people than the um, homosexuals because they kind of show, they have a facade of normal, you know, in terms of, oh, a family is man, a woman, and things. So they are they, they don't like two women living together, two men together. But if you're trans, oh, you still have that facade. So it, that that's... Hmm image is very important for them and they got to cling on to it as long as they can. Thank you, Alnaz. In fact, they force people to transition who don't want to because they want to live with the person that they love. And so they have to pretend to be the other sex. Uh, Mm -hmm. iPad de Elio. (laughs) Yes. Hello. Can you hear me? Yes. Well, my name's not iPad, of course, but (laughs) 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 Um, I had a a question that actually maybe both of you can 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 answer. Um, You mentioned hijab and the fact that some always, you know, there's a distinction between feminists in in the West, but some feminists do not 
you know, speak against or even try to normalize um, in, in our countries. When I say our countries, I mean Western countries. Um, <clears throat> what, do, what, what, would you, what would your argument be when, when you hear that, um, you know, they always reply that um, in Iran or in Afghanistan, but mostly in Iran, women fight against compulsory hijab and not hijab itself. Um, and, and, you know, we, I'm guessing the people who are here today uh, politically fight against the ideology and the philosophy of hijab. Uh, I don't think any of us, you know, want to ban it from public spaces, but, you know, there's still a, a philosophical and, and political you know, fight to, 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 to carry out. But what would your, you know, what would you answer them when, when they say that, you know, the women in Iran, yes, we support them in their fight against compulsory hijab, but when it's in Europe or when it's in, in the US or in Canada, wherever that is, um, it's different because, you know, they have the right to wear it and it's not compulsory. So, you know, the, the, what's at stake is, is completely different. The consequences are not, you know, are not the same. Yeah. Do you want to go, Jasmine, or do you want me to answer? No, you go ahead. Um, so I can think of two things. Um, one is um, there is the question of endorsing it. Like, I've never seen a feminist that endorse genital mutation, right? Because we understand how bad it is. And I feel part of this that a feminist could endorse such a thing as they don't understand it fully. That I feel even when you say you choose to wear hijab, um, you are still adhering to a power tool, to a controlling tool from men on women. And how can you be a feminist and um, endorse that? That's one thing. But the other things I wanna say is, um, uh, children, where is the freedom when you're forcing hijab on a five-year-old, on a seven-year-old, on a nine-year-old? Is there freedom if your mother tells you that um, I won't love you if you don't wear this? Um, so I'm okay, I'm okay with, you know, with, okay, you grew up, you're over 18, you can do whatever you want with your life, you can cover your hair, you can cut it, I don't care. But if, once you start forcing that on a child, you bring it up that way, one, it has very negative psychological eff effects on a child, um, as we talked a little bit with Yasmin in terms of what it teaches you as your as your self-force. And I hope that a Western feminist could see that and could um, try to actually discourage other women to, even from having that because um, because of its effects. But it's but also like how can you endorse that being forced on the children? And at first, when I say, say say force, also mean coursing. Like, oh, you're gonna burn in hell. God's gonna hang you from your hair. Your hair, if you don't cover your hair, I won't love you. You can't go to school if you cover all these little things that kind of um, add up. And 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 to me, there's a lot of uh, unhealthy behavior in there, even though it's not visible as uh, something like a genital mutation. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I, 
I would echo everything you said and, and add to it that it's just a complete fallacy when people say that women in Iran are forced, but women in the UK or America or Canada or France or whatever, they're not forced. Yes, they are. Those exact same messages, we won't love you. You're going to burn in hell. You're going to be dirty. No man is going to want to marry you. All of those negative things, they don't just say it in Muslim majority countries, they say it wherever they are. Those ideas don't stop at the border when they're traveling. They take those ideas with them in their heads. Um, that's the whole point of my book, Unveiled, How Western Liberals Empower Radical Islam, is I'm talking about my experience growing up in Canada because a lot of people seem to think that things are so different in the Western world. They're not. We, we're all being told the exact same messages. One of my forgotten feminists named Aliyah would describe it as Sharia law was in our house. So for Alnaz, Sharia law was at her government level, at the law enforcement level. Um, for us, it was our house. It was our family. It was our community. It was the school that I attended. It was the mosque that I attended. That was all controlling me by Sharia. And so the difference here being that as soon as I was able to break out of that, I was able to break out of my family and my community, then I had freedom. I was in a secular country, whereas Alnaz couldn't do that. The only way she could get freedom was to get out of the country. So she has one more, like she has a much more difficult step to get out. But what I'm trying to express to you is as children, both of us growing up, we we're both getting the same messages Um the same coercion existed and it, it's not different based on what country you're in. And uh, would you agree with, I, I think you know her, there's a, a, a French um, geography history teacher, but also um, she writes essays. She's called Fatia Bujalat. And um, she often says that, you know, in the West, we indeed see a lot of women who wear the hijab um, and they also, you know, support uh, LGBTQ plus rights and, you know, they call themselves feminists. You know, they can they can appear, they can look like very modern and very progressive and, <clears throat> and liberal people. But and and she says that the reason for that is that there's, you know, in the West, there's, you know, rule of law and um, a certain secularism that enables religions and religious systems to you know, to take the whole package that's, you know, hijab is just one part of, of you know, a whole package of, of coercion and, and, and laws and, uh, and very, you know, um, uh, freedom restrictive um, laws and rules. And the fact that hijab is a piece of cloth, you know, that can be worn in, in, in the public space and, and in, in, in Western countries, but, you know, there's a whole, whole, you know, other the shenanigans that, that go with it that can't happen in our countries because, you know, some laws do protect uh, women and, and, and minorities. Yeah, absolutely. That's why I always say the hijab is the, it's just the, it's just the visual. It's just the physical representation of all of the, you know, the, the subjugation and the, just the gender segregation and the, the dehumanization of women like the, the you're right it's it's a very big ugly dirty pandora's box um but the hijab is just what you see 
And what's really, and you can see it clearly in Iran, this, my point being um, illustrated is how important the hijab is for the men that are controlling these Islamic societies or the men that are controlling their women in their Islamic families. It is vital for their honor, for their uh, reputation that the women wear this hijab. And so when women take it off, the reason why we're ostracized, threatened with death, if not killed, um, you know, disowned by our families, all of these horrific things happen to us is because we're standing up and we're saying, no, you will not control our bodies. And it really is all about control. This, think of this hijab as a pair of handcuffs. And when we take them off, we're saying, we will not be your slave anymore. You can't tell us what to wear. And they hate that so much, especially when you think of how that, like the quintessential toxic masculinity, that is what is celebrated in these patriarchal societies. Hmm. And so for a woman to say no to a demand that's being put on her by a man, they would rather see her dead. And that's why honor killings, uh, honor violence Happen. and honor killings are so common. Yeah. 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 In terms of Iran, it's so bad that they would not even acknowledge that this is a demand by part of the society. Oh, this is, this is the, um, the work of our enemies, US and UK. You All people who demand this, they have got money to say that they don't want hijab. This is not the true demand. And this is like denial in the first level that you don't even want this. And I'm like, I wholeheartedly want this. I just want to choose what I want to wear. This is so, so, so simple. My opinion matters. I think that's, you know, I think that's kind of like what I try to say. It's let me do what I want to do. Well, thanks. Thank you. Awesome. Um, Ines, did you want to say something? Yeah. Yes, I, I want to, first of all, I want to thank both of you really and everybody here. El uh, uh, Naz, it is very, very beautiful to see you. I saw you in one episode uh, before uh, of Forgotten Feminists. I, I can remember you. <laughs> Because you uh, really are so inspiring, and uh, I do love you and uh, respect all of you uh, for what you are doing. Really, uh, I want you, Elio, to to tell you just a small story from uh, Egyptian, my Egyptian friend, who she took her off her hijab. Uh, before three years, I think, or something, after wearing it for maybe 20 years. Uh, and I want to tell you, uh, there is no, no hijab is a freedom. There is nothing like this. But because the, at least the, um, the current uh, Islamic uh, ideology, that makes it uh, obligation. Yani, it is obligatory for women, a Muslim woman, to wear hijab. 
that there is no nothing called uh, uh, freedom with obligation. Yani there is nothing you cannot uh, collect or make it uh, mix obligation with the freedom. Uh, there is nothing like that. Um, uh, yani if we if we want to to talk sensible. Uh, my friend, um, she took it. Uh, she took it off uh, before uh, three years, um, and uh, she faced. Uh, actually, I want to let you know, all of you, that uh, there is a, mo a movement here in Egypt taking off uh, hijab silently. It, uh, the, even in BBC and like that, they are calling it the silent revolution. It is one of the, its remarks. Woman uh, like freedom. Actually, I can't count them. I can't count them. My, my sister, my own sister, one of them. Uh, my two cousins, one of them. Uh, uh, both of them, yani, it is now taking off hijab, it is a movement in Egypt, you cannot, e yani, you cannot even deny it or doubt it. Um, uh, that friend, she told, I used to say um, uh, that I, uh, I took it, uh, I wore it uh, my own, by my own mm -hmm. choice. And uh, when I uh, when I took it uh, took it off, it was a scandal in the family. Imagine the father and the mother who rejected first for her to wear it when she was young in Egypt. She, they made it as a scandal when she wanted uh, and her husband made it as a scandal when when she wanted to take it off that so there is nothing to say freedom when you are in age 15 or 14 you are just a kid and she used to say i used to say yeah it was my own choice when i was mm -hmm. young to wear it but then i thought of it that's her i am quoting now it, 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 it was then I thought of it. It is. It was never my freedom. I was bullied in the school. I was bullied in the uh, harassed in the uh, and bullied in the street. And I was called. I was called names and uh, very dirty names for a young kid. But there, there is. It is never a freedom. So yeah. she now she converted. She started to say. It wasn't free. It was my freedom to take it off, but not by any means freedom to put it on. It cannot be. It cannot be. But I just I want to say this to you to make it clear. I hope that I made it clear. It is a witness from a, a Egyptian lady. Um, yani, she's my friend and. <laughs> She used my 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 sister. She used to say, "I I wore it by my own choice, and I took it by uh, took it off by my own choice." I, but she was right in this because nobody forced her. But she was forced. Even she stopped to say this because she was forced by her religion teacher in Saudi Arabia, in the school. 
they were taking us for uh, like um, dawa yeah, like yani, um, i don't know proselytizing uh, 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 like this the, we were in saudis and no one of us were is were wearing hijab طبعاً, we all wear hijab compulsory uh, uh, when we are getting school uniform yani, we are not allowed at all to show anything in Saudi Arabia. But it was like this. And my sister, she said that I, she used to say also, I wore it my, it was my own choice. So I, I never, never her choice, never her choice by I, any means. Yes, yeah, Elnaz. Oh, I just want to say I love to have her story and our collection of stories. If you want to introduce her to me or me to her, I would love to write that because I feel that's a very compelling story. And I'm sure Yasmin has a lot of similar stories to tell. And I, what it reminds me of, there was a, there were a few good documentaries on Netflix about Scientology, and it's it's the same thing. You you wake up in a cult, you grow up in a cult. And and you don't know what it is, and I think you know watching those gave me a lot of insight. I was like, hmm, yeah, this me is how too. you think it was your choice, but then you realize it actually wasn't. And there was these forces that pushing you silently, silently here a little bit, there a little bit, and you you thought you wanted, while you realize later, once you're actually taking it off, that you didn't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because choice means the choice to put it on or the choice to take it off, and when yes. you go to take it off, that's when you realize, oh, so this was never a choice. <laughs> yes. I want to say something, Yasmin, excuse me. I want to say something for Elnaz, and I hope uh, this West and America and North Canada never will help, uh, yeah, never help the, uh, the Iranian people. I want Iranian people because for sure, for sure, the West, they cannot see in us only uh, radical Muslims. That's what I am convinced. And this, all your stories tell us the same. Even uh, my sister, she used to, uh, uh, to make fun, Yasmin, and <laughs> she will tell, uh, we will uh, liberate here in, uh, in East, we will liberate and be good and we will get our freedom and like that. And those people, uh, real liberals, ex-Muslims in, uh, in West, they will come, they will immigrate to Iran and Egypt. And <laughs> it could happen. Get back. Yeah. <laughs> so, like that, because the, the, the way West encouraging and supporting radical um, uh, Muslims, I can't even think of it. Yani, this is really silly and getting really disgusting. And I hope you will you will get rid of this Islamic regime your own by your own people yeah. without and force the West and the, to recognize this and to support you once you reach to the point that you get rid of them your own not by any help of anyone. Obama helped uh, uh, the what called the uh, Egyptian revolution and um, uh, uh, supported Morsi and uh, Islamic Brotherhood. They don't know 
in, they cannot see liberals in Egypt or in Iran or in um, yeah, Turkey or they cannot see those. They, we are invisible for them. Uh, I hope that you will reach this and uh, believe me. Thank you. 100% sure. When you uh, get rid of Islamic regime in Iran, no religion in all this area, Islam will not rule anymore. So you are leading the movement and those Iranians, yani, they are paying too much, too much, but yeah, cheers to that. It be them worth it, worth it. Yeah, cheers to that. And the whole. <laughs> no, I believe in what you're saying. I think that's going to happen. That's going to happen. Yes. It's, it's going to take a little bit of break, but it's it there. It's it's inevitable at this point. Um, it's just a matter of then. And yeah. we we want to to be sure that. Uh, unfortunately, Western people and um, um, liberals in um, in West, they seem. I can't think of it of them logically, actually, because or humanly, because I feel that they think that freedom or fight for freedom is only for them, for the West, and they are the the only ones they can achieve it. No, you, we are all human beings, and they, they all they call them Western values. values. Yes. Freedom is not yes. a Western value. It is just human. Yeah. A movement, Yanni. I am so proud of French Revolution. So so proud because it it brought the 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 world, the humanity, to this uh, era, to what we are seeing now. But seeing them so backwarded and so um, racist in this way, I, I call them racist. I'm so sorry, but I can't find another word to. That's exactly what Chandler is saying. Freedom is a right well. for everybody. Yeah, yes, freedom is the right for everybody. I fight my religion. You fought Christianity. Yeah. You fought Christianity to rule you. I have the right to fight to to fight Islam, which ruling me. And I think Erkan brought actually a good point. The Islamic Republic is helping Russia, and if and if war that most countries are sitting aside, yeah. um, and just like at least not helping Russia, Islamic Republic openly gave um, drones to Russians, um, and um, they are in they are in one one side of the war that would be against freedom because you know islamic republic is happy with the russian government that oppressed their people and they are letting iran oppress its own people so um it's also another thing that the, the west should recognize and it's at least it's for their own benefit and I'm, I'm happy about that i mean i i like some of the stuff you said iranians should save themselves and it's important and i think the whole process is important because we want to land in a government after the Islamic Republic that is Democrat, that does not repeat the same mistakes. I think somebody mentioned a very, very important thing a few days ago that um, after the Islamic Republic, after the Islamic Revolution in 1979, um, in a couple of days, 
the government decided to execute a lot of commanders of the army, a lot of officials who were higher up in the previous government. And they did it without trials, they did it even without tracking paperwork, or who made these decisions, what happened. And Iranian people accepted that. And mm -hmm. that bad road to go. And this is something that if we even want to avoid in this uprising, you know, is despite all the bloodshed that happened, I think it's important that once we are beyond, beyond this, we accept um, rights for everybody and we try to reconcile that. So it's important um, to have a democratic government afterwards that, you know, we, we get to something stable and sustainable. And maybe some of that requires all these discussions that's happening in Iran um, and some cultural changes that's coming with it. Because we are coming, we're coming out of this cult, right? And we are mm -hmm. trying on many levels. Yeah. Thank so, you, Anas. <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, when when Inas was telling her the story of her friend, um, Nazreen shared in the comments that she had a similar experience. So Nazreen, I wanted to extend Alnaza's invitation to you as well. Hopefully. Um, you can also write your story for Moonlight, was it? The Moonlight Project. I actually, the Moonlight Project. Have it here. The... Oh, awesome. I will definitely be sharing this uh, for anybody who's watching the recording. Is there, can you tell me the significance of Moonlight? Is there? Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, Mahsa which now everybody knows the name means like the moon. So we, we dance with moonlight because it's a, it's a soft light to kind of put some, shed some light on what's happening, you know, what's in there. Mm. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Good choice. Okay. Um, Sahara was going to speak, but then she took her hand down. So I'm not sure if she still wants to continue speaking to you. Uh, but she did write a little note for you there. Um, but I wanted to give you the last word on that. So before we say goodbye, I wanted to give you the opportunity to just share any last words or advice or um, let people know where to find you to continue conversations with you or, or anything else you'd like to share. Sure. Well, first of all, thank you so much for having this. I think it's, you know, it's important that we find each other um and come out of our own little bubble and know that we are not alone and we can work together and that means a lot to me thank you so much for that um i'm i'm on twitter from time to time but i think the best way now is to reach me with there's an email on the website of the moonlight project that i will be checking that and that's where i want to keep going with these stories and thank you all for your stories i love that people share that and for the great questions, um, well, we and I'll this one thing I say, <laughs> we have a marathon. <laughs> this is not a hundred feet uh, run. We have a marathon. We have yeah. a long way, way, way to go. And I think it's important to like build up a community, build up our networks, work together. You know, technology has enabled us to do much, much more than we could from before. And um, that would be a good way to go forward. And thank you again. Thank you so much, Alnaz. Thank you for sharing your story. And thank you for ending on a note of hope 
and light. And yes, absolutely agree. So um, I will get as many people as I can to share their moonlight story with you. And oh, it looks like I froze again. Oh my God. Uh, all right. Well, I don't know if this is recording. I think she'll be sad. Ah! Oh, yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to say goodbye without this thing freezing. I don't, it's, I'm sorry that my internet is so bad today. We stayed. Um, but we anyway, stayed. Oh, yes, thank you for thank you for yes. not leaving me coming back to an empty screen. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much, Elnaz, and thank you everybody for joining us. And we'll see you mwah, bye next time at the next Forgotten Feminist. Bye, guys. Thank you. Bye.